0: Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, once again, we come before you realizing our need for your care. Lord, we hear the words of that song and we think in our own hearts how needy we are for your help in our life in every way. So many come to pray to you who do not know you at all, thinking you're some kind of magic genie in the sky who will somehow fix their life if they just ask you enough. And we we know from your word that you require to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, and we desire to know your truth, We thank you for your spirit, and we know that. We need you to understand. So help us tonight to do that as we learn from your word. So we think about the very issue of holiness, sanctification for our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to return to the Gospel of John. I think you remember where that is in your Bible. It's been months since we've been in there it seems to me in fact I was preparing this message five weeks ago when I broke my leg it was for that evening service and so it's been in here boiling a long time (laughs) Um, and and I don't think it'll be a long message but I do think that uh, this is so important for us so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17 if you're not there already we know that in John 17 that Jesus is just a few hours away from facing the most brutal death a man could ever suffer. He's willingly and he is obediently going to the cross so that all the sins for, of all whom he has chosen to save will not potentially be paid for, but will actually be paid for and paid in full by him as he faces the full wrath of the Father on behalf of those whom believe and one of the remarkable realities of John chapter seventeen and the prayer of Jesus Christ here is just that fact that Jesus is ours from death, and yet he's praying for us. So the one who answers prayer is the one who is doing the praying. And he's not praying for himself. He is not praying that God the Father would adjust the circumstances of his life and in this moment that he might not have to deal with life as it is, that he could avoid the inevitable. We understand in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, let the, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. That's not because he's desiring to, to not go through whatever the Father would have. He's just feeling the anguish of it all and sensing the anguish of it all because he's fully God and fully human. And so he's not here praying that the Father would somehow change the circumstances so that he could accomplish whatever God was accomplishing by way of redemption in some other way. What is on the mind of Christ is the glory of the Father. That's what is on the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. And it is for that that he prays. The the essence of this entire prayer is just that as a theme. Christ wants the Father... To be fully glorified. Christ wants the Father to receive all the accolade, wants all the light to shine on the Father. And over the last several times that we have been here in this study, we have marveled at how this unfolds as Jesus prays for us. First, Jesus prays to his Father that his Father would finish the work that he began before the world ever was he says in verses 1 to 5, Father, return me to my glory that I had with you before the world ever was. Why? Because in that return of me to my glory, you are magnificently glorified. That is necessary, it is instrumental to the fullness of redemption coming to you and I. And thereby, Jesus prays that God would complete that plan so that the completion of the plan of redemption would happen. Why? Because the fulfillment of God being ultimately glorified happens in redemption. In other words, if Christ had not returned to the glory that He had from the beginning, then the plan of redemption would be incomplete and we would be a people who believe in something like Aesop's fables. We would believe in a myth. If Christ does not return to the ultimate glory that he had with the Father before anything ever began, then we do not have eternal life at all. Why? Because in that we do not actually know God who is eternal life Himself, and God the Father is not ultimately glorified had Christ not returned to the glory that He had before the world was. And so Jesus prays. He prays to the Father that He would finish the work. What He had begun in eternity past, He prays that God would clearly carry that out and the full glory of Himself would point to the glory of the Father. Lord, Father, if you glorify me, the glory that you deserve will be on its shining place. So that was the first thing that we saw in verses 1 to 5. The idea that he be glorified. So that God, the Father, would be glorified. And then secondly, we learn that Jesus is praying that God would be glorified by guarding our faith. By guarding our faith in verses 6 through 16. In other words, that is not simply Jesus praying here for the disciples who were with him that night. We understand that as you read through this, he says, I manifested my name to the men whom you gave me out of this world in verse six. And yet then in verse nine, he says, I ask on their behalf, but I do not ask on their behalf on behalf of the world, but those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. And then, of course, we understand when you even go farther down, uh, particularly in verse 20, I don't ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. So he's not simply asking that the faith be guarded of the disciples who were with him that night. He's asking for the faith to be guarded of all of those who would have faith in him. And it's an incredible reality. He is actually praying for you and me. God praying for us. And that means all of us who are believers. So God is glorified when we walk by faith. God is glorified when we believe in Christ in every way. When we believe who He is. When we believe all that He has done. And it is God the Father who is keeping us in that faith. It's not your faith. It's not my faith. It's not something manufactured in us, in our humanity. It is a gift from God, a la Ephesians 2. It is a gift from God. And we must walk in it. But it is Him that is keeping us in that faith. For without Him keeping us in that faith, surely you and I would fail. We would reject God this very moment, if God were not keeping us in the faith. So the prayer that Jesus is making to the Father here in verses 6 through 16, God is answering that prayer in that very moment and throughout the history. The reason you are here tonight, the reason I am here tonight, and we believe in Jesus Christ is because God is guarding our faith. And then third, and for our time tonight, Jesus is praying that God the Father would set us apart. So if you've been keeping an outline, this is point three in our overall outline of John 17. This is Christ praying, Father, finish the work. Father, guard their faith. Father, set them apart. Set them apart. So follow along as I read verses 17 through 23. Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you did send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you did send me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you did send me, and you loved them even as you did love me. This is a great section of John's gospel and the prayer of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify simply means to be set apart. We've mentioned that here over the years, several times in various contexts and classes. Sanctify means to be set apart. We might even liken it to the idea of being different, being different. Father, make them different. Make them different. That's a good modern-day thought about sanctification. Sanctification and sanctify, setting apart, is the idea of being different, being set apart as a different entity. That's what sanctification is in practice. When you talk about sanctification in practice, sanctification in practice is living different than you did before you believed in Jesus Christ. That's practical sanctification. In fact, some of you even mentioned that tonight in our discussion before. You talked about the change that happened, attributing it, rightly so, to the power of God. That's what sanctification is. It is walking by faith. I asked some of those in our... Membership class this morning, that very question, what does it mean to walk by faith? And one of them answered, it means to, to live by what you believe. That's what it is. That's what a walk by faith is. That's what the Bible says for us. We are to walk by faith. We are to live as we believe in Christ. Now, why do I say that? Because... Through salvation we are sanctified, the Bible says. We are sanctified positionally in the mind and heart of God as we stand before God when we are justified, when we are declared innocent before God. We are declared innocent before God based upon the holiness of Jesus Christ which is attributed or imputed to us. Sanctification is the same word in Scripture. It's the same root word as holy, hagia. It means holy, set apart. We are set apart by God positionally in Christ. We are holy before God in a positional way. That is our condition before God because we are attached to Jesus Christ. We are holy. We are holy in Christ through the means of His substitutionary sacrifice and the death of Christ on our behalf under the wrath of God. We are declared in the eternal throne room of God as being justified. We are innocent, and thereby we are declared holy in Christ before God. That's positional sanctification. So we are fully sanctified positionally in our eternal condition. But here, Jesus, here in John 17, Jesus is praying that the Father make us holy in practice right now. We are positionally holy in Christ. And Jesus is praying, Father, sanctify them in their life now as they live. In their living. In their living. He knows we're sanctified and and will be fully, completely sanctified as He's approaching the cross and dies on the cross. He understands that. But He's saying, Father, set them apart. Cause them, make them holy here and now in practice. And he says it with these words, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. And it's needful that we realize when we hear these words right here in verse 17, it's it's helpful for us to realize that there is no practical sanctification. There is no living holy right now apart from, get it, the truth. You will not live a sanctified life, this side of heaven, apart from the truth. It cannot be done. It's an impossibility. And the only actual truth that will sanctify your life is found in the Word of God. It isn't the Word of God plus some other book. It isn't the Word of God plus... plus, um, Some other writings that somebody else says were part of the Word of God in ancient times. No. It is the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Notice that Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word, He says, is truth. Did you notice that He does not ask that we be sanctified in a truth? He does not say that. The Holy Spirit uses specific words here. It isn't as if Jesus is saying that there is another way to be sanctified and God in His divine wisdom picked the very best one available to accomplish that desired effect. In other words, there are other ways in order to be sanctified and God because He's God just chose the best one out of the options. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, because holiness in practice cannot come in your life through any other means, and the way in which practical holiness happens means that there is no other valid rivals to it. It cannot happen any other way. It only happens through the truth. And the only means of that body of truth is the Word of God there is no other truth so listen as far as the world is going the world in which we live the history that we've seen and the future that is to come it is the world is only living in illusion the world is living by thinking and living as if they can please god through any means if i do a b or c then god will be happy they hear things from all kinds of false teachers if If you do this, then it'll be okay. If you have enough people pray for you after you die, it'll be okay. You'll get to the place where you desire to go. There's other ways, they say, other than God's Word. The world thinks that it's doing the right things. It thinks that it's going the right way. And listen, that would be a problem for us. That would be a problem even for us as Christians unless we had a way and a means of turning from its influence. What the world says and what the world is chiming in our ears day in and day out would be a problem for us if we didn't have a way and a means of turning from that ringing in our ears. The sad part is the world lives by its own definition of truth. The world lives by a standard and a moralistic compass that is worthless, even though it thinks it's doing the right thing. I was reading this week in Luke and I thought this would might be helpful for us if you desire to want the world to love you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Next time you have a whole line of people from the world loving you because you're just like them, you better think of that verse. You're highly esteemed among men. And if you're highly esteemed among men, guess what? You're detestable in the eyes of God. That's a frightening verse. That's a frightening verse, especially as... As Randy said at the beginning of our time, the church, the modern church today is going ways in order to try to please people and see what they like in order to get them to fill the chairs of whatever building they call a church. In order to be liked by the world. Listen, I don't want to be hated by the world, but I can't compromise the truth in order to, to be liked by the world. Because to be esteemed by the world is to be detestable to God. That's how the world defines its truth. That's quite an indictment in light of the reality that the world thinks very highly of its own ways, isn't it? When the world pats itself on the back and says, we're doing the right thing. That's how the world lives. This is the world that's all around us. The world that we interact with and touch. The world that it's pouring buckets of information right in front of us each and every day. To the ears of our kids. So how do we stay away from being conformed to that constant stream of garbage? How do we stay away from being squeezed into that and being taken away by the the, the flood and the cesspool of sewage that comes down the road calling itself true? One word really. Right here, sanctification. Holiness, set-apartness. That's how we stay away, set-apartness. And how does that happen? We must know what? The truth. You must know the truth. There is no sanctification apart from the truth. I love it when people come and say, you know, Pastor, I need some help with some things in my life. My life isn't going so well. And you, you talk to them and you ask them how much, how much they're in the Scriptures and they usually say, well, very little... And you go, "Well there's your problem. At least that's the place to begin. There's your problem. You're not spending any time with the truth. We must know the truth. That simply is to say that we must know the way of life as God sees it. We must know the way of life as God sees it. The way life really is through the eyes of the world is an illusion. The way of life as God sees it is reality. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how then are we sanctified practically? How are we sanctified? I mean, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how does that happen? Well I think in order for us to get a clear glimpse of that uh, I want us to just hear a few ways that we are not sanctified a few ways in which we are not sanctified and I think these may surprise us at first remember we're talking about the practice of living as Christians the walk of faith how does how how, how does that how do, how do we Get that in our life. Well, let's look at how we're not sanctified. One way that we are not sanctified is through hearing someone preach. Now, all your heads came up because you're sitting here in church hearing someone preach. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Sounds like I'm saying that it's unnecessary for us to listen to preaching. That's what it sounds like I'm saying. But I can assure you that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that simply listening to preaching will not make you holy in practice. Let me say that again. Simply listening to preaching will not make you, by listening to preaching, holy in practice. In other words, sanctification is not an osmosis process. I know we'd like to do that. Sometimes we'd like to just stick our Bible under our pillow, lay down on it, wake up in the morning, and we got it all there. It doesn't work like that. It's not osmosis. What is going to help make us holy in practice, listen, is listening to preaching and then Doing what we're hearing in the preaching. Right? We know that. That's just common Christian sense. James says, right? Don't be hearers only, but be doers. In other words, preaching or or practicing what we are hearing. So preaching itself isn't going to sanctify you. But practicing what you're hearing being preached, as long as it's true preaching, and it's true to the Word of God, and you do that, you will start to be sanctified. You will start to see in your life a practice in the truth. It's a huge problem in the evangelical church today. It's a huge problem. Christians by the thousands hear preaching on a regular basis. I came from California. One of the probably best churches, I think, in our country. Thousands of people here preaching every day. And somehow, somehow, even under great teaching, they have convinced themselves that they are somehow, just because they're listening to that preaching, that they are holy Christians. And yet, when you look at their lives and when you examine their lives according to what the Word of God says, even in the smallest ways, you find out that they are just as worldly as their unsaved worldly neighbors. And yet they've been hearing preaching nearly their whole life. Why? Why is it like that? Because listening to preaching, listening to even great preaching, will not by itself make you a sanctified person in practice. It will not do that. You've heard me say it before. If we take these principles that we learn and just stick them on our theological shelf in our minds and never start putting them into practice, our lives will never be changed. We cannot do that. What will sanctify us in practice is our practicing of the very truth from the word that we are hearing. When we take principles that we hear and we just stick them on the shelf, it's, it's what, I, what goes off in my mind is this whole idea of, of what I like to coin the phrase bandwagon Christians. Bandwagon Christians. The Christian who jumps on every Christian bandwagon that passes by but never actually practices any of the things that they're hearing. It's like a float going down a parade. They're only on it for a moment. so hearing preaching alone will not sanctify us. Well, what's another way? What's another way that does not sanctify us? Now, this may surprise you too. Prayer will not make you holy. Prayer will not make you holy. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, prayer is commanded in the truth. We are commanded to pray. Prayer is a practice that we must exercise as Christians. It is a communion that we have personally with God. Jesus here in this very chapter is praying. He's not saying, though, however, I thank you, God, that I am sanctified through and in this prayer. He doesn't say that. Prayer is something that is the outworking of Christians when we're obedient to God, but prayer by itself doesn't make us holy. That's why the monks who hide themselves in cloisters off in the mountains are no more holy than the guy who doesn't know Jesus Christ at all, doesn't acknowledge God at all. They go up there and they pray all day and they stand there. I I remember flying to Israel on an airplane and seeing the Jews, the Hasidic Jews, get up at
1: 35,000
0: feet and face east in the airplane as we're flying along doing their prayers as if that made them somehow holier than the rest. We must not think that because we pray, and we are now, because we pray, holy people, sanctified people. Don't think that because we attend a corporate prayer time that we now are holy because we attended corporate prayer. We ought to attend corporate prayer out of honor and glory to the Father and praying and communion to the Father. But that attendance doesn't do anything by way of our holiness. None of those things make us holy Prayer is one of the God-ordained practices of those who are being sanctified in the truth. So listening to preaching doesn't sanctify you. Prayer in and of itself and the practice of it doesn't sanctify you. There's a third way that we're not sanctified. Sanctification does not happen by way of some kind of experience doesn't happen by way of some kind of experience. You say, what do you mean? Well, I think this is part of the tragedy of false religions. This is part of what the deception is. False religions of the world today are selling a program of holiness by means of practice, by means of experience, by means of doing something, experience something, feel something. By means of some external, some kind of... Years ago, they called it the extra blessing, something like that, something that is outside, something that is external, something that is feelings oriented. Now, it's certainly true as Christians that we have had experiences, that we have experiences. But the error comes when we begin to suppose that our holiness comes through one or all of those experiences. And when we begin to define the reality of our relationship with God by means of that experience rather than let that experience be defined by means of the truth. Sanctification doesn't work that way. Sanctification comes through knowing God's word. Knowing God's Word. Knowing the truth. And so when someone finds themselves seeking after some kind of experience, what they are seeking after is the subjective and the ever-shifting ground of feelings. That's a dangerous place to be. To define life based upon your experiences and your ever-shifting feelings in life rather than standing on the objective, solid truth of what God has said and what God means by what He has said. That's the only solid ground we have. When we do that, when we stand on our experiences, we are in real spiritual danger. true sanctification comes always from seeking to know our Lord Jesus Christ through, through the means of the word of God that never changes. This is why it's so frightening to me when someone says to me these, those words, God said to me. It's frightening to me. I I shiver inside, and then I try to figure out, okay, what do you mean by that? Do you mean you heard voices or something else? And if they say they heard voices, I say, how do you know that was God's voice? Well, I just know. In other words, my experience, my feelings define that. Well, listen, there were plenty of people in the Scriptures who heard voices, and it wasn't true. There were some people who even said, this is what God said, and God said, I didn't speak to them. So I don't know what you heard, but if it didn't match the Word of God, if it doesn't come from the Word of God, then maybe you ought to be asking yourself, was the voice I heard from God? Sanctification comes through the truth. So growth in holiness comes from knowing and doing what the Bible means by what it says. So what does that mean in a practical way? We know what doesn't sanctify us. What does? I mean, if we're going to be holy in practice, if we're not going to be taken by the ways and thinking of the world, then how is that going to happen? How are we going to guard against that? Jesus says you must... He prays, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. That implies that the first thing we must know is what is our authority? What is our authority? What calls the shots? And I just want to touch on that really quickly, and then we'll we'll be done for tonight. But what is our authority? Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That very phrase implies authority. It implies a singularity. It implies an exclusivity. It implies that what it speaks, we should listen. In other words, the truth is the rule to everything that we do. It is the authority. It is the one that says it, and at the end of that statement is an exclamation point. One of the greatest evidences that we can point to in the church at, at, at large today in the world, one of the greatest evidences that we can point to and know that the world has crept into the church is that very issue. What is the authority? What is the authority in the church? We try here at least in our church to drive this point home each and every time we have members classes each and every time we have a Sunday school class each and every time somebody stands up and teaches we want people to understand that it is the bible that has authority in this church it's not me it's not the elders it's not anything else it is this book this is the authority but that's not true in every church throughout the world that's not true in every church that you come across in our country Things are done in churches today not because it should be done. Not because the Bible commands it to be done. Things are done in churches today simply because the majority of the people in the church say that it should be done. I sent an article to Randy and Russ this week that I, that I read in Fox News. The title was, church as we know it has ceased to exist i thought this is an interesting article it was all about this very thing the people become the authority in the church. The people become the determining line as to the way the church should go, whatever the way it is, whether it's social or any otherwise. We need to morph our church into the media-driven world with all of this kind of social media and everything else because people aren't coming to the church anymore. They don't want to sit in the pew to listen to somebody preach. They'll get it online, so we've got to make sure we have an online presence. So we can reach those people who don't feel like coming. I thought, how sad. How sad we've morphed the church into the way the majority of the people want things done. All kinds of foolishness is happening within the church. Why? Because democracy rules the day. The majority rules the day rather than the word of God, rather than the authority that it should be. And here's my point. If we're going to be a different people, if we're going to be a sanctified people, if we're going to be sanctified in practice, then we're going to have to do what we do because it's what the Scriptures say we should do. Not because it's popular. Not because there's floodwaters coming in here, people just pouring in and, and, oh, gee, they just, the world loves this church because it seems like it's it's the nicest thing in town. No. We're going to need to do it because the scriptures teach it and because in doing so, God is glorified. God is glorified. God is glorified when we obey, when we walk according to his word. When his word is the authority in our life, we walk by faith according to his word. God is glorified. We have to be a church of the book. That's what we have to be. And why do we need to be sanctified? Because we have a mission. We have a mission. The mission is the proclamation of the gospel. We heard about that this morning. God has saved us the moment he saved us for a purpose. That purpose is to make sure his name is is heralded across the whole earth. And if we're going to herald the gospel, then our lives can't be a contradiction of the truth. We can't say, yeah, you need to do what this says. You need to believe what this says. But our life doesn't follow it at all. We have to be people of the truth notice what Jesus says in verse 18 and 19 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth as you did send me into the world I also have sent them into the world and for their sakes I sanctify myself Jesus says for their sakes I live holy Before them, in front of them, with them. That they might know the truth. That they might see the truth. That they might hear the truth. That they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Listen, how we live and and the authority of the Word of God in our life has a massive effect on our brothers and sisters who are around us. You want to see your friends and neighbors... Those who claim to be Christians or those in this church grow in Christ, then you walk and grow in Christ. If we're going to grow as a church in Christ, if we're going to be sanctified in practice, then each one of us needs to be walking in the truth. Jesus said, I, I did that for myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. That's our job. That's our job. But well, we won't do that if the Scriptures aren't the authority if we have a, 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 an authority that's outside of us, if we have a theology in our mind that isn't a biblical theology, if our priorities in life, the things that we carry at, at highest esteem don't have anything to do with the truth and there are other things, and we go, well, yeah, I'll be with God's people or I won't be with God's people or whatever it is because I've got other priorities that are squeezing those things out. Those are more important to me our lifestyle doesn't match what God's Word tells us, then guess what? It's going to have an effect. It's going to have an effect on your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's going to have an effect on your own very life. Because the only way to be sanctified is in the truth. And here's the interesting thing. We'll save this for next time, but I'll just mention it. Here's the interesting thing. When we do that, When we do that, what is accomplished in Jesus' prayer is accomplished with us. Verses 20 to 23. I don't ask on their behalf, these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So there's that trickle-down effect of our life and the gospel going out from us because we believe in the truth, because we're walking in the truth, because it's the authority in our life. There's this trickle-down effect to others. We are saved because we're standing on the back and the, the shoulders of those who have gone before us who have told us the gospel, right? Jesus is saying, I'm not asking for them alone. I'm, I'm asking also for those, you and I sitting right here tonight, that, here it is, that they may all be one, You know what the goal of sanctification is? Unity. 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 That they may all be one. That's the purpose. I'm praying for them, I sanctified myself. And I'm praying for them that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they may also be in us. Why? Here's the second, uh, second phrase, purpose clause, that the world may believe that you did send me. Listen, when we are walking in sanctification, when we are unified because of our walk in sanctification, there's not a greater testimony to the world about Jesus Christ than that. It doesn't say that the world's going to believe in Jesus Christ, but they're going to see Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That the world may believe that God the Father sent God the Son. Seeing that is a condemnation on those who will reject Jesus Christ and potentially salvation for those whom God would draw to himself. So Father, finish the work. Guard their faith. Set them apart. Unity is that goal. We'll get to that next time. We'll get to that next time, which hopefully will be next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've cared for us in this study. We thank, thank you that there's so much here that we can learn about being sanctified in you, knowing you and knowing the truth of your word. Lord, you're a wonderful example to us, a testimony of all that we must strive to be. For you showed us the great example of following the truth. Thank you for the spirit that empowers us, but we must obey. Help us do that. Help us do that for the ultimate glory of the Father, that your name would be shouted from the mountaintops just because we live the way we live. God would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that the world might know that God sent Christ, the Savior of the world. For it's in your name that we pray, amen.